Hey there, it's Antonio, and we're back with another episode of Who Cares If You Listen. Uh, I haven't slept in about three days, so I'm going to keep my preamble and postamble to a minimum, except to say that I sat down and chatted with Dawn Zanklin. She is a local stand-up comedian. She is a creative writer, as I found out. She's worked in improv. She's probably going to make a movie at some point based on sort of her collective trajectory. Um, I've met her in, in real life once or twice doing the local stand-up scene, but I see a lot of the stuff she puts out on the internet, and I said, I want to have her on my podcast. I want to talk to her about her creative process, and that's exactly what I did, and I got a couple of really interesting nuggets in there, too. I had a great time chatting with her. I hope you enjoy listening, but if not, who cares if you listen? Well, by the end of pandemic, I think we're all going to be audio engineers sort of ad hoc just by virtue <laughs> of having to figure out all this stuff for no, work or play or whatever it is, right? Oh, totally. It's just a little little wacky. I'm going to adjust the camera because my curtain looks a little off and it's distracting. There we go. It's, it's completely audio only just because I, I, I made that kind of conscious decision that I didn't want to just have people just watch me kind of staring into a mic for an hour and a half. Like if I had a Good. studio, I'll... Uh, yeah sort of Joe Rogan, maybe it'd be a little bit different, but, uh, you know, I love your Paisley backdrop. I, I, oh, yeah. I think it's kind of, it is kind of Paisley. I don't know. Not necessarily. Yeah. It's full. got a bit of a, uh, I don't know, artsy kind of feel to it because, um, I think before the first lockdown, I had my desk turned, um, to face a wall, but I found it was a little busy because there's framed mementos and stuff on it. And, um, uh, like I'll, I'll show you. I'll just uh, turn this. Hopefully, my Ethernet cable won't be grumpy. Uh, I don't know if you can see. It's like wall of you got, stuff. You got you got some books over there. Got a couple yeah. of buttons and pins up on the wall. Some bobbleheads. Exactly. Nice. Oh yeah, definitely bobbleheads. Essential nerd cred. Oh, there we go. I don't think I can turn. Oh, this is really light. My my ring light is like too bright. But what, 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 what is your essential nerd cred? They, no one can see this. Yeah. It's I'm basically a docent <laughs> describing this in a museum as Zach DeLong described it. So what what are we, what am I what did I look at? Oh well, basically um, a bookshelf full of um, various uh, geeky things. Like there's a couple of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer anthologies. Um, okay. Um, Scholastic. Uh, <laughs> analyses of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the good one, not the crappy movie. Um, the okay. series, and um, there's a couple of bobbleheads I like to collect. Uh, I didn't have a lot of uh, black toys, you know, black character toys when I was growing up, so I have a, a lot of bobbleheads, um, the black ones from Black Panther, um, and um, uh, well, Star Wars, and um, uh, who else do I have here? Uh, Black Panther, Star Wars, um, Star Trek. I've got uh, somewhere around here. Uh, the one that the character that Rihanna played in the new uh, franchise movie. Um, Rihanna was in Star Trek. Yeah, she played. Um, oh, I can't even remember what the name of it was. It was the one where there was the alien with the um, the, the face makeup, um, and she had stripes, and she was kind of uh, by the end she was indoctrinated, well, indoctr- welcomed into Starfleet. <laughs> But I, I, I think that was Rihanna. That. Let me th- double check what that name of, of the movie was. I was a little shocked because at the time I wasn't a, like a giant Rihanna fan. I uh, still am not. 
but um but that's like a big name you would think for a cameo in the in the in, like it was i'm assuming it wasn't a huge role yeah, well it wasn't a hu- well she's kind of she was on screen a lot um however uh i don't think she was really she wasn't like rihanna with a capital r um at that point i remember kind of thinking she was kind of like a minor star let me see if i can find it here Oh man, why can't I find that movie? Star Trek Beyond. Okay. Is what's coming up. So that's and the second of like the JJ Abrams verse, I think. Is it? Um oh man. See now my nerd cred is getting a little questionable because I'm the kind of nerd who enjoys this stuff, but I'm not like the stats person. We'll um, we'll fix it up in editing. We'll just make this look all seamless like you just absolutely oh, got it at the tip of your fingers. How did you get into sci-fi? What was your what was your foray? Oh my god. Well, I I used to love watching Saturday morning cartoons and I loved watching anything that was fantasy or just not the realistic boring stuff. Um sci-fi fantasy was my favorite. So CS Lewis like the um Lie in the Witch in the Wardrobe. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I was really frustrated with my mom because uh, in my book order form, I wanted uh, the Black Cauldron series because our teacher was reading that. And she ordered the um, C.S. Lewis series instead. So I refused to read it for years, just, you know, out of spite, kind of dug my my heels in. And uh, I was bored one summer, read it, and just binged right through the entire series. But... Anything that has to do with um, just <laughs> things that aren't mundane, where there's a plot twists, magic, um, so, like a, 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 not a dystopian future because that's kind of a drag. But um, Star Trek just resonates because it's um, a, a utopian ideal. It seems achievable. People are working at things. They don't necessarily always get there, but it's it's an optimistic take on uh, what we could possibly do. It's funny you say that because, like, I think about I've I've watched most of the Star Trek universe like dozens of times, and the ones that I've enjoyed the most were probably. Deep Space Nine and oh. this past season of Discovery. And I think partially just because it's kind of like they put the grime on the utopia where it's like things aren't as rosy as you would. I don't know if you've seen the new Discovery or not. I don't want Um I oh no, I, I just I finally finished season one, so I'm a little behind. I have to start season two. But yeah, it was kind of I was I was skeptical because I I heard about the it was supposed to be edgier and I thought, oh, I don't think I want that. Because I was thinking that, you know, like a Tarantino treatment or something. (laughs) I just thought, I'm not ready for that. Don't do that to my utopia. But um, it was great. I think it was was surprising to kind of see how dark it got in that first season. Because I, it was a bit of like a culture shock. But it was refreshing because I know that when I go back and I watch the um, the next generation, I'm a little bit put off by how polished it is. It's a little bit too perfect. It could have done with some grime. Um, and uh, I, I know that they tried when um, Locutus was, was created. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't, I think they needed that scattered throughout, just not in certain special episodes of Star Trek, but just, um, just, just make everybody a little bit more three-dimensional well it's funny because gene roddenberry gets this reputation as sort of being a trailblazer for being very 
I don't know if progressive. I mean, that's kind of the 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 catch-all word these days. But you know, the whole like um, you know William Shatner, Michelle Nichols having a kiss on screen in in the nineteen seventies, and I was considered like really <gasps> out there. Or yeah. I know shocking <laughs> for the time. But then it's yeah. like at the same time, like you look at the Ferengi in the first season of Star Trek: Next Generation that are like a really thinly failed like Jewish stereotype, and then like, oh my god, the stereotypes, yeah, code of honor. <laughs> that episode where it's like the the all african planet where they're like in their garb totally. and somehow have a vaccine i was just like how did that even sneak in there like i remember will wheaton was interviewed by it and he had this whole bit where he's like well i don't know if it was i think it was just a lot of black guys showed up for the audition and they just kind of went with it and i'm like no <laughs> no that was, yeah i wonder what Jordy laforge thought of it I heard Barbara. he was gonna be. I heard he was gonna be the uh, Lavar Burton was gonna be the new host of Jeopardy. I was I was excited really? for that. Reading Rainbow Guy, but then they gave it to Ken Jennings, which I think was like the obvious kind of first yeah. choice. Yeah, yeah. But I would have I would have watched Lavar Burton on Jeopardy. That would have been fun. I I think at least once did he make it to any of the? I thought they were they were kind of going through different people um, as a transition before bringing Ken Jennings in for good. Is that what happened? I got to be honest. I haven't watched Jeopardy in like eons, but obviously now kind of everyone remembering it because of Alex Trebek passing and all of that. So it's we're all in the in the part of the zeitgeist or whatever you want to call it now. Everyone's kind of thinking about it, but it's like, I don't remember the last time I was free at 730 on a weeknight to watch game shows. That's a good point. I I don't watch a lot of TV anymore. I have, I create long lists of things I plan to watch on Netflix. And then, um, you know, someone's playing video games. So I don't get to. Um, But uh, but yeah, that someone's not you. That someone's not me. Well, the only game that I really played uh, until my thumbs were sore was um, Katamari Damashi. Um, That was when we had a, I think, PlayStation 3. Um, and it's this, uh, this game uh, where there's this little guy who has to roll up this um, katamari and stick things to it. And the objective is that you have a time limit and you have a size um, target and you have to be able to um, achieve the size of the katamari um, that's ideal in a certain time frame. What's and, a katamari? Um, oh, it's a little like round sticky thing. I don't know if it's an actual piece of food, but it's a round thing and you, you roll it around um, by moving your uh, your joysticks um, and <laughs> things stick to it. So when it gets big enough, you can grab people, cars, it gets kind of chaotic. So eventually you swirl around enough on the analog sticks and then you get like carpal tunnel in your thumbs? Oh, totally. My my thumbs, like the, the, the ins- well, outside parts of my thumbs were sore because I remember playing, uh, I think when I was, pre- I was pregnant, um, for hours until midnight. Oh, like, oh, I think I need to stop. <laughs> The worst was Super Mario Party, the original one for the N64, where there was a game where you had to swirl the analog sticks, and those oh. were hard plastic. It didn't even have that rubber finish. And I remember getting these, like, stigmata kind of looking holes Ouch. on my hands from it. <laughs> so, so I mean, you know, sort of the things we do for uh, for our game dumb, it... it uh... <laughs> oh, yeah. And the, the Katamari game had, um, if you failed... You'd have this really stern-looking father god figure who was several times gi- more giant than this little guy you were playing as. Um, start to like tear him to shreds, like completely destroy him, saying, "You failed me. You're insignificant." I'm like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> 
that, that's such a wait. cultural thing. I feel like that might be less out of place in Japan than it is Maybe, but it's terrifying. It's like, I don't want to go there. Traumatized. <laughs> so I know you, Dawn, mostly from, you know, our kind of collective friends in doing stand-up. And I think we've done a, a few shows together. We've kind of gone through yeah. the, the, the trenches of, of the local Ottawa scene. I think the first time we did stand-up together was at like the U Ottawa coffee shop show. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I gotta be honest, like that was kind of one of the low points of, of, of sort of the community stand-up rooms, not through any <laughs> fault of anyone organizing it, but like there are small rooms and there are rooms where people are doing other things, but that's the only one where people were doing other things with their laptops. And it's like, oh, they were literally oh, kind God. of, it, I, I have a newfound respect for professors who have to, you know, give a lecture these days and just see a row of screens and know that no one's really paying attention to you. Yeah, that was, that was off-putting for sure. I think the only thing that comes close to that is sometimes uh, a Zoom show where, when everyone's completely muted where people don't turn on their mics to laugh or something um but <laughs> but that doesn't happen as very often because at least with zoom you can see faces and they know there's a show um i uh <laughs> i remember just even um the people who were working on their laptops at that that cafe didn't seem to realize there was a show and they didn't even respond like it was like an everyday thing that people would go up there with a microphone and you know <laughs> crack jokes like it's a brave new Ottawa U, I guess. <laughs> so I did a grand total of one Zoom shows, which is funny because even before pandemic broke out, I, I bought this like Justin's black matte backdrop and a wow. microphone stand and this mic. And I was going to record like a stand up set and then just put like a 90s sitcom laugh track. It was my idea because uh -huh. it was really getting hard to get out to the clubs. I'm like, I could just record this on my spare time. And then sure. the pandemic happened. It's like literally everything that I set up for just kind of came together and then I just couldn't do it. Didn't want to do it. I just, oh. I did one, I did a couple on Facebook live and it's just, it wasn't the same. You really do need that. Cause you've, you've done quite a few from what I can see. You've yeah. done quite a few. Yeah. Because, um, basically it, I, I was a little skeptical about zoom until, um, I got a chance to do comedy behind the, um, the plexiglass in that, um, narrow window where, um, there were different requirements, um, in that enabled clubs to operate. This was at so, Yuck Yucks or Absolute? Oh, well, Yuck Yucks. And then I also did comedy at Eddie's. And okay. uh, I discovered that the um, working material out in the Zoom shows was uh, fantastic. It was actually better um, as far as getting feedback than going to an open mic. Be uh, because before, I mean, the before times, I would go to uh, the occasional open mic. I wasn't that great at bringing new stuff. I would bring the tried and true stuff because I, I just hadn't quite found my groove in, in using uh, open mics as a workout space. Yeah. But um, I, I found that with the Zoom shows, there was reaction that I could see. Not a lot of it, but I could see facial expressions. I could hear if uh, audience members um, listened and unmiked, <laughs> or unmuted. Um, and, uh, but the reaction um, that I received on Zoom was amplified live. And it felt like I had been practiced, like I had done a lot more practice than I had. Um, so it, it was such a benefit that even when we go back to the normal things, if Zoom shows still exist for whatever reason, I'm still going to do them because I can't get out to open mics, 
Um, well, as you understand with, with kids, well, it's hard to do that. Well, well, I had Lorenzo on last week and I talked to him about this and it's really like the people I know that have kind of progressed in mm -hmm. doing stand-up. And I don't know necessarily whether you or I wants to become a road comic, if that's the dream, but uh, you know, they're doing six shows a week. They're doing three shows a week. And it's like, I don't. I don't physically have that many evenings to my name that I can get out of the house three times a week to work on my on my set. So oh no, you just exactly as parents. Um, I just I always um notice the parent the the parents who are also comics because they can't do that unless you have a lot of support like you know babysitters, grandparents, um, people watching your kids. You can't. To commit to a grueling schedule like that it's impossible i know that when i was um the maximum i was able to do last year was three times a week um and that's not every week that was just like once a month once every couple of months um things would not go well at home if i was out too much doing comedy because i'm not there they miss me um i'm part of the vibe at home too um so i need to find that balance but the open mics, um, not the open mics, the Zoom shows give me that balance because I can be um, upstairs for like an hour and a half um, doing my thing and then I can leave and still be at home. I can, you know, I'm, I make dinner before going to shows sometimes, but they don't, um, they don't lose me for as long and I still, I'm a still able to um, develop my skills. Personally, I, what I want to see, and I've had some success using like Discord, lately where i'm doing gaming stuff and i'm talking to people on discord where i just found like the sound quality is so much markedly better and maybe it's just my music background but i feel like if you're in a situation where you've got really top-notch high fidelity sound where there's a very quick feedback i think we could i think we could tolerate it more than if it's just like 4k video and yeah. everything feels kind of laggy and everyone's laughing like three quarters of a second after the joke is finished yeah, yeah, definitely. There's uh, there's room to develop and level up. Um, absolutely. There's um, it's interesting to watch the pros because I, I know that a lot, we've seen a lot of comics um, who are mm, not new but not pros. Um, so actually, some pros too um, really slag the idea of the Zoom show. But there are other comics at a really high level who are using it, who are monetizing it. So there's there's opportunity, especially if you uh, level up the technology and you make it um, an interesting dynamic experience for your audience. Um, yep, you have to be yeah. you have to be smart in this environment, and that's really like Bert Kreischer doing the drive-in theaters. Like I mm. thought that was the coolest thing. He came up that with the so idea cool. of like I'm gonna go up there and people are gonna honk their horns if they think <laughs> something's funny. It, it yeah. sounds a little redneck, but then like you see yeah. the shows, it's like people are starved for for some kind of entertainment, and the Absolutely. fact that you can put that on is amazing. Yeah, that was such a brilliant idea. We're a little bit more challenged this time of year because of the winter, but I think it's that kind of outside the box thinking that ensures the audience remembers you because when we when we're through this, they're going to remember the people who made them laugh and distracted them um, when it was really difficult to be um, distracted. So why not take advantage of it instead of sitting sullenly along the side going, huh, you know, this isn't what's ideal, you know, like just make the use of it, you know, and then fix it as you go. <laughs> Tweak the experience as you go. Yeah, sitting sullenly on the sides and complaining is kind of my default mode network. So oh, no. I need, to, I need to, I definitely need to kind of work on that part. But I, I hear what you're saying that uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're all in this rut. We got to fix it somehow. 
Absolutely. Like um, one of the shows I caught from the beginning, and I can't remember when his first show was, was uh, Derek Seguin. He has these shows called The Pen Derek. And uh, it was so cool to see what a comic was doing with it. And he's changed it a little bit, but basically um, he offered um, monetizing uh, of, of, his, of his comedy in different tiers so that you could either join the Zoom show and experience more interactivity. You can go to a private uh, YouTube link and watch the show sort of sitting back and just you can comment um, or you could just, you know, order some swag, you know, like T-shirts and a CD or whatever. But he didn't ignore the opportunity. He just brought people something using the tools available. It's awesome. I mean, yeah, that does sound. I, I haven't actually checked that out. I haven't watched a lot of the the stand up since, and maybe I, you know, I've seen a couple of the the specials from like the big comics that kind of came out, like Hannibal Burris and Mark Norman, and I think Bill Burr released one during pandemic. So I've seen a couple of things here and there, but uh, yeah, I guess I have to check that out again. I guess I've been stuck in my basement too long in the in oh, a hovel. But like, you've have you been working? Babies, have, <laughs> twins. I mean, I know. I can only I can only milk them as an excuse for so long. Oh, I don't know. I, I had just the one and I'm just like I'm in awe of you parents of multiples because I don't know where you get your energy. <laughs> we just have to split up everything. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know any different because we didn't have a singleton to begin with. So mm, it's like that's just the way it's always been. I mean, in a weird kind of way, like Charlie, we had to have surgery when he was two days old. So he spent the first three weeks of his life at Chio. So in a way, it was like I had one baby at home for three weeks. It was like mm -hmm. a crash course. And then the second one came home and it's like, whoa, how do we do this now? Oh, no, exactly. Level up. <laughs> how old is how old is your son? Oh, he's nine. But he oh. was uh, in the Chio for the first two months. He had meconium in his lungs. So a bit of um, pneumonia uh, as a result. So it was kind of uh, an unusual start. So you and I, yeah, you we've yeah. been down that road too. It's like you're kind of pacing back and forth on like the edge of your, like, oh, did, yeah. you know, did you know something was going to be like that when, when he was born Not or that came really. as a shock? It came as a shock because um, when he like arrived, I, we looked at each other. He seemed pretty chill, you know. <laughs> and then um, when they were running the test, they kind of, you know, uh, secret them away afterward. They were running the test and they thought, oh, wait, he's not kind of uh, reacting in all of the ways he's supposed to. And then they realized, oh, it's like, you know, there's some, some something that happened because it was a longer um, sort of... Um, uh, labor. So it was just kind of like, oh, this can happen. All right. Um, interesting. And he was our first. So it was just kind of like, uh, okay. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I don't, I don't envy that. Uh, I don't like to even remember. It's kind of weird. Like it takes the edge off of having a new kid when, when you have that situation where it's like, you're, you're on the edge of your seat for weeks at a time, kind of oh, stressing okay. out about it. And, uh, you know, it's, I guess we're very grateful that we have Chio here in Ottawa, because otherwise, if you're going, you know, miles and miles away to get that kind of care, that's just all the added strain at that point. Oh, absolutely. It's true what they say. Not all superheroes wear capes. Yeah, <laughs> yep, 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 yep. I mean, we're, uh, I think, I think we've always been really proud of Chio here in Ottawa and sort of doctors and, and, and nurses in general, but it's like... It it's kind of weird in in the COVID age where it's like now 
you know, stock boys and grocery store workers are heroes. And it's like, we're going to put up signs and salute them and give them a parade. It's like, why don't you pay them a living wage? I think they would appreciate that more than your billboard. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Oh, man. So, so so have you been working on new jokes during, uh, during pandemic times? Oh, yeah, it's been uh, crazy prolific, actually. Uh, the first lockdown, uh, there was more. I think I wrote a whole set um, in a short time. But I also did a couple of other things that uh, differently than I would have done um, if not for COVID. Um, there's a lot of other um, online creative groups that I've been part of. So it's been a chance to kind of work on sort of parallel skills that indirectly help uh, my comedy. So Like what? I'm, Oh, just uh, like a creative writing group because I'm um, I'm a writer um, uh, professionally um, and uh, for oh, fun. Get out of town. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, like a comms person, um, but so writing. I've been uh, how long have I been in comms? Oh boy, like almost like closing in on twenty years. <laughs> Whoa! Because I'm I'm forty seven, so I've been um, writing for a long time, and then um, but like I've always been a creative writer. Like even the time when I was just like. Um, turning my nose up at, um, you know, C.S. Lewis, I was writing on the side. Um, but um, online communities for writing are fantastic. Like the one I'm in, uh, we write in 25 minute spurts until we're tired. And we, we all write different things. So there's, there was someone writing a play, someone else was writing a, 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 a novel, a teen novel. And we're all like writing or like editing in that 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And then we come up for air, talk for five, and then we go back. And then so, so the group chat is just there to keep you honest. Exactly. Or just to kind of distract you. And then you kind of go back in sort of like a reset reset because you've been talking about unrelated stuff and you just go back in and then you hit the wall at one point and then it's like brain is full and you're done but I did that like um weeks um of just writing well not necessarily writing co just comedy but when, when you're like used to kind of showing up at the page and just going it helps um I'm also in Toastmasters and uh, for Toastmasters they've got this exercise where you have to talk off the cuff for two minutes like you don't know what's coming at you so they they throw a topic you just have to answer and and, and stand up like you it's all talking so it's kind of um I'm used to being able to like have my tape recorder in front and dictate something and then go back and refine it so it's just been like a weird time where there's all these empty pockets of nothing to do that I've managed to fill it with stuff that makes the comedy better. We thought we were going to be so bored in pandemic. <laughs> we were just gonna, but like, I, I don't know about you, but I've just managed to cram every, like, I don't like seeing empty space in my calendar. So you keep yeah. stuffing things in that maybe you really shouldn't, or you need to kind of take a breath, but you don't do it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I hate being bored. Uh, like I, I'm a, like a crappy patient and I suck when I'm on vacation. Uh, I think I, I remember like my husband banning me from bringing electronics to the cottage. I'm that kind of person. Because <laughs> it's Ooh, like, I couldn't do that. Yeah, it's just like kind of stressful. It's just like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm just going to look at the water. What? N no. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's just it's an adjustment. But um, I don't know. I think um, coming out of this, it's been interesting because uh, with the Zoom shows I mentioned, it's not just uh, Zoom shows aren't just happening in the Ottawa community. So uh, I'm meeting people from everywhere. Um, I've done uh, one show with comics in Chicago, one show with some comics in LA, and I've met comics from all over the world. 
and learned a little bit about their styles and kind of realized that um, uh, I really a lot stronger than I thought because you don't get a lot of feedback in local comedy um, except from the audience. And I just thought, oh, this is really helpful to know. <laughs> so, so these rooms, these rooms that you're doing with these like Americans and, and uh, elsewhere, like these are, these are probably like a lot of comics, other comics that are in there that you're workshopping with. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting to see their perspectives because I think the first place where I had even met them was I did a local Zoom show. There's a, a weekly show called um, No Line to Cross. Um, the comic, uh, Jerry Hodges, uh, runs that one. And he was inviting a lot of people from across borders, like early, early on in that first lockdown. And then I'm just being on a show and a lineup with them. Then you meet them, you see what their, their styles are like. And then when they're running shows, they invite you um, if they like your stuff. Um, and so that's how, uh, actually, that's directly how um, I managed to be on the L.A. show. And then um, he in invited me to um, like a couple of networks that he was in and introduced me to other comics. And I just thought it's never going to be the same again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But but again, like if people are even considering to check it out, they're missing so many opportunities because after all of this is done, I'll know people in places where I didn't know them before because I've only been to like Las Vegas and Duluth, Minnesota <laughs> in the States. Now I've like, been to Duluth. What were you doing really? in Duluth? Oh, my God. I was dating a guy in Thunder Bay and that was the big road trip. So we went to the Pancake House in Duluth <laughs> and there was nature um, around Duluth. And I was just like, wow, we should have driven to Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so I dated a girl from Stacy, Minnesota, which is just oh, outside of Chisago County. It's like rural. It's about like an hour from the Twin Cities. And so like w when we went to Minnesota, we went to the Twin Cities. And I oh. got to be honest, like as far as like the big cities of North America, like, yeah. I, you know, I mean, you know, we drank and we saw a Twins game and I had fun doing that. But like the highlights, the Mall of America. I mean, it's literally, imagine they put three Rito centers together. That's their tourist trap. <laughs> My God. It sounds like the, the uh, West Edmonton Mall. I've been there once. That was insane. There's something about putting giant shopping malls in places where there's just not a whole lot going on. I guess the real estate's yeah. cheap. Yeah, you know, I agree because I, I was kind of like, do people really spend their time here? And 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 walking through, like the air felt stale. <laughs> Just thought, could you, how, how much time could you spend in that mall and never leave? <laughs> it could be a movie. Your, your background, if I remember right, when we talked in person way, way, way back in the before time, you yeah. said you, you'd done improv before you did comedy. Oh, no, just um, in the first year. Um, I forget what led me. Oh, no, I remember. I, um, <laughs> I did, like, maybe my third show. And um, some people came up to me, and they introduced themselves, and they were from the uh, Improv Embassy. And they were talking about um, uh, some of their, their offerings. But I think they were just kind of, like, stunned to see, you know, black women doing comedy. Someone told me that when I had started doing comedy, I was the only black woman doing amateur comedy in Ottawa. And I thought that was... That didn't make any sense. I thought that was, they were just kidding. But these people from the improv embassy just like marched over, just introduced themselves. And I checked out their stuff. And I met, um, when I signed up, that was where I met um, Andrew Wambolt, um, Mike Tamafi, and uh, Aaron Hill. 
uh, they were in the same uh, improv class as I was. And it was just, I didn't realize that they were comics. I was just like, who are these serious guys? They're really serious. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was fun. Uh, so I did uh, improv a little bit, and I found that made my stand-up better. There was one night where I did a um, an improv class, and then I ran. There was a, actually, again, Jerry Hodges' show, because it was on a Sunday. I ran I from, like uh, Jerry. He's a good guy. I yeah. haven't seen him in forever. <laughs> it's like prolific. And then like, I ran from improv, um, which was on Rideau Street at the time, um, all the way to the, um, uh, gosh. I think uh, he was doing it at Pub 101 back yeah, in the Yeah, Pub day. 101. Yeah. Yeah, so I just sort of like ran two blocks to there. I did a, my stand-up set just in time. And I felt this, the improv was like a warm-up. I went up there, and it was one of my best sets. And the thing is, with these open mics, sometimes people bring their friends to watch them perform. So there was like a crowded room. But there were people who had no stake in watching me do my thing. So there was someone like with their cell phone and looking at their cell phone. And I, I loved that set because I made these people look up from their cell phones, pay attention and laugh their asses off. And I was just like, oh my God, that is what I want. Like, I don't want to go, uh, you know, walk into a place, do a set and people are going to go, oh, you're a black woman. Oh, you go girl. Oh, I just, I, I want, Please I want to tell me that's people. never happened. Oh my God. Yes. It, <laughs> it is so frustrating because I just want, like when I was um, told I was uh, the only black comic uh, doing stand up, it was such a, a like, it, like a distraction because I didn't know if people were asking me to be in their shows because they wanted to tick a demographic box or if because they liked my stuff. Like there's nothing so distracting as second guessing yourself when you're showing up to do to be funny. Um, but it's awesome because every time I found out there was a new black woman comic, I would be like, who are they? And I go, go meet them. Uh, because I was like, yes, there's more option and people won't ask me unless they like my stuff. The more of us they are, there are. So it's really exciting. But um, I, I, I love the, the more difficult rooms because then I could really test. Because if they weren't interested when I walked up there, they'd be reacting to what I said. Or what I did when I was up there. Oh, that's a fair, that's a really good perspective. I, you know, it's uh, we get so inside our heads as when we're doing any kind of performative arts. I mean, that's really, you know, I I, I really value that perspective. But I want to go to like something you said, and I think that's interesting because I remember like from the few times that we've done shows together, like one of the jokes that you keep using is you 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 self-identify as a blurred. <laughs> did you did, did, did you ident did you invent that 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 portmanteau is that yours like oh I, no it's uh i i was i found two because i was trying to figure out a way to kind of like nutshell um that the geek factor and the black factor and just to kind of shorthand it but i found two i found one that was called uh bleak and one called blurred and i thought bleak sounded really depressing very bleak. sounds kind of bleak yeah <laughs> exactly so i just thought i like blurred better but um not a lot of people knew what it was um so i kind of phased out some of the blurred references um unless i was in an audience that was uh black because i found that black audiences often sort of got it right away um and uh <laughs> Uh, and also too, I've just, I also discovered with all of the writing I was doing, um, there's so much to write about. Um, one of the challenges with being a writer is that I keep 
uh, changing my stuff. And as a comic, you're supposed to have like this core bit that you keep working and refining so that it, it becomes effortless. And I keep changing my jokes and changing yes. my set. So I can't, it's, that's the cha- biggest challenge for me so far, just trying to be happy with one version. <laughs> well, I don't want to, I don't want to invest in a six minute set and maybe I just haven't found the right one yet, but like, mm-hmm. you know, I know people and I'm sure you know the same people that have been doing the same six minute set for <laughs> 15 years and it wasn't that good to begin with. And they've just been, <laughs> they've just been polishing a turd and it's like, yeah. there's no, there's no nice way of saying it, but at the same time, it's like, well, there it is. And it's just <laughs> really, it's just really you know, I'm the complete opposite. It's like, I almost want to do something different every single time I'm up on stage, but then there's just a complete lack of continuity and you don't know what hits and what doesn't. I I find that sometimes recording, well, in theory, recording is supposed to help. I I think it helps if you play it back and listen to it, which is my problem. (laughs) I don't tend to uh, watch myself perform. I just, it's just so cringy, but people like it when I do post, I just need to post more of it. Cause I've got, well, it's, I'm going to hit my four year comedy anniversary in March. So, um, I've got a lot of stuff, but I just, it doesn't get posted. <laughs> I need a secretary. <laughs> my, my, sorry, I'm lifting one of my ear cups. I heard some noise in the background. I want to make sure it's the cat and not one of my kids. Because if I one agree. of my kids are yelling, I am bolting upstairs at the no thirty-six worries. minute mark, and that's all she wrote. <laughs> no um, problem. Yeah, no, we're good. We're good. We're good. Touch wood. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I I found my first ever stand-up set that I recorded. It was. Uh, the Holy Cross Elementary talent show in the oh! third grade. And my mom wrote most of my jokes and they were like, they were even for like an eight year old telling them they were fucking brutal. And <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Like that one encapsulates everything about my greatest fear of like being shown on camera and having to like watch back something that I've done. I don't, I want everything to be ephemeral. Like it's here and then it's gone. Right. Yeah, exactly. You had to be there to enjoy it. So you, you also do like, I guess I, you know, I, I, we haven't really talked at length before and I'm really happy that you agreed to do this and I get to sort of pick your brain on a couple of things. So you said that professionally you do communication writing. Like what, what does that entail? Is that like speech writing or reports? Oh, or? There's all kinds of uh, comms uh, writing. I've done a little bit of all, all of them um, over the, I guess, from the beginning, um, starting as a temp and all of that. But um, now I do uh, basically internal stuff. So basically trying to get uh, employees to pay attention to content that matters to them. My favorite kind of writing is the um, um, storytelling where, where I can do um, an interview with somebody. And so I get to pick their brains and then I... I craft a profile or whatever to kind of nutshell the experience of dealing with them. And um, that's kind of, um, you know, one of the things I I mentioned before was about um, the work kind of um, feeding other kinds of work. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it, that kind of writing really helps my comedy because we were just um, describing like storytelling and I'm like, I couldn't tell if we were talking creatively or professionally. Oh no, that's it. They're both the same. They like the, um, the, they have the same rules apply because you need to make it, um, 
uh, accessible for people. So people need to be able to read it. Um, you need hooks in there so that they're interested enough to continue and to pay attention. And um, it needs to be tailored so uh, to the right audience, right? Uh, just like your you know, like jokes. Um, so it just sort of like they're of all of this um, type. All of this type of writing is all connected. Uh, do you ever really get, do you ever get to be humorous or like like you know sort of add some witty repartee to your your professional writing? I think that might come because I've been asked to share my Toastmaster speech uh, to the team that I work with. So it's going to be interesting because one of the reasons I got into stand up in the first place was, um, uh, well, I was, I'm in Toastmasters and uh, all of my speeches had humor in it. I just I use it naturally to break the ice. And uh, so I wanted to find out how to write jokes um, properly. Right. So I uh, when a stand up comic was was offering workshops, I signed up for it and it included five minutes at Yuck Yucks. And then I, I, I thought I'd, I'd bail on the yuck yucks. I thought I just want the joke writing. I don't care about doing stand up. I like watching stand up, whatever. So, but I was curious. Went and did the five minutes, and I was just like, I don't want to get off the stage. I love this better than writing. Who am I even? You know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's just uh, funny seems to happen in Toastmasters. But the more the word gets out, the more. I think I might have to figure out how to do this at, you know, work, work. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, it just, cause my wife is in government too, as you know, and it's mm -hmm. like, I just feel like the, the stereotype of the public servant is like the person that, you know, for want of a personality, right? Like the yeah. stereotype of like the civil servant that couldn't take a joke if their life depended on it. <laughs> so I'm like, it, I just feel like me or you or somebody who like I know from the stand up scene, like <laughs> maybe just me because I'm kind of a mean sort of act when I'm up there. I feel like I'd have to tread really lightly in that kind of a sphere. Yeah, because I'm the kind of person who um, I'm really snarky, naturally, like I, was, I keep joking that in my own kitchen, like when we talk, uh, you know, about uh, current events, I just without thinking I blurt. And I, I wish I could do that more easily on stand up uh, on the stand up stage. But I <laughs> naturally, I'm just sort of like, boom. <laughs> And uh, my kid has a swear jar. Um, and, yeah, well, he, for me, so that when he hears me, um, you know, dropping words I shouldn't, it's just like, Mom, you need to put stuff in here. Um, you have a blue streak? I, I never would pick it. I do. Up. Oh, yeah, I do. My husband used to have a podcast years ago before podcasts were really, uh, really popular. He, he was one of the pioneers when um, I think around the time that Larry O'Brien was mayor of Ottawa. He had a podcast. Whoa. Yeah. That, that's like way back in the beginning. Well, yeah, way back. And in fact, there was a whole saga about. <laughs> anyway, that's a that's a whole other story. But there's a whole saga about the mayor's office where you can't you can't just you can't just leave me with that <laughs> carrot. You can't just okay. dangle that there. <laughs> okay, what did well, Larry O'Brien do to your husband? <laughs> Well, uh, my husband had this pot, this podcast called Fear and Loathing in Ottawa, and uh, he was the main host and interviewed a lot of people. I was kind of like the sidekick, and my, my persona was Angry Dawn. So Angry Dawn was responsible, and this was clearly pre-kids, but Angry Dawn was responsible for um, 
giving her unfiltered opinion on things, and she did it with a blue streak. Very okay. colorfully and very, like, there were no gray zones with Angry Dawn. So that was that. But um, the mayor's office at the time I wasn't was having um, a lot of criticism about how it did things. And there was an anonymous blog, uh, and I forgot what it was even called, but there was an anonymous blog where it seemed to have um, inside knowledge about what was happening. So if there was an something, an initiative being done that wasn't, that, was, that seemed a little problematic, this blogger would start um, talking about it. And so there weren't a lot of podcasters, and um, I guess someone was going down the list trying to think about reasonable people. And my husband got these creepy anonymous calls at his office threatening him. Yeah, threatening him and saying, you better stop what you're doing. And my husband's like, I'm not doing anything. And ultimately, we, we ended up stopping our podcast because we discovered we were pregnant. And I said, I don't want to have to get home. If they have figured out who you are and where you work, they're probably going to figure out where you live. And I don't want to get to the front door, you know, pregnant and have to deal with a scary person, you know. So we, we parked the podcast, but it was just like, oh, my God, Otto is not so boring after all. So, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> So, so, so somebody thought that your husband was anonymously whistleblowing all the shady shit going on at Larry O'Brien's office. Yeah. Even though he didn't even work with, you know, with the city or like he's like, he, you know, he works, you know, in the, he's a, like a, you know, same as me, uh, civil servant kind of person. And he got these scary calls at his desk. I'm going to like, like, like. I feel like this is kind of circling around because last week Lorenzo was on and he was talking about his old work mentor, Terry Kilray, who was the sheriff at the courthouse. Holy and so shit. like, so all of a sudden, like two weeks in a row, I'm doing like low key municipal politics scandals <laughs> from like 15 years ago. It's a small, scary world. <laughs> oh, Ottawa is a, a village in the worst sense of the world. Like you get rid of the civil service here. It just ends up being this like real podunk kind of letter Kenny style town. <laughs> totally. Oh, my God. That's we'll go cool. back to I like Lumber Town. I have not thought about Larry O'Brien in God knows how long. Like the guy just looked like a cross between Lex Luthor and Mr. Clean. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I saw him that he was on Twitter um, actively. Uh, he was criticizing something and then someone um, oppo had a different opinion. And I think he's, he wrote back, go fuck yourself or something. <laughs> so it's like he was, just, he, he was this guy. I think he was in high tech and he just assumed that he was good at running a business. So he was going to be good at running a city. And yeah. then he, 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 I think he went on a cruise during his reelection campaign and just never came back because he knew <laughs> Jim Watson was going to beat him. And then he like started posting Glenn Beck stories nonstop on oh. his on his Twitter feed, and yes. then like talked about buying gold and all this stuff, and then just disappeared completely. And then I saw him again after years and years because he went to like, you know congratulate jim watson for for officially coming out and like i thought everyone already knew so it was a little bit surprising with me, like, <laughs> the front of the citizen and then like people were like didn't you used to call him like a sissy and and like you know all this oh yeah like there's a whole bunch of stuff where it's like dude this doesn't really sound like a sincere congratulations right now no, it's just like hey but, quote me <laughs> uh, I mean, 
Anyway, that I I was not expecting that, but I'm glad I managed to tease that out. I know I don't that that wasn't what was gonna be the. I don't even know how we got on the topic, except that uh, you said that your your husband was doing a podcast that apparently sparked political intrigue. Oh yeah, it's just like never, the fun never stops. <laughs> Maybe I should make that into a bit. Um, that it I don't know I don't know if the most uh, millennials know who Larry O'Brien. <laughs> Well, we're, you and I are millennials. You oh, no, I'm a Generation X. Really? Yeah, 47. What's the, what's the cutoff line? Oh, that's a good question. I don't Because I'm, I'm apparently, I'm 34. Apparently, that's, uh-huh. I'm a millennial. I'm the one that oh. is entitled to everything and wants avocado <laughs> toast and a participation medal. Do you have avocado toast? I've, you know, Catherine buys avocados for a couple of times, but it's like, I feel really bad when they go rotten because they're so bloody expensive and it's like they've been <laughs> flown so many thousand miles. And it's like, I don't really need the fat. And I don't, and I don't eat a lot of car. I bake a lot of bread. I'm a, I'm a walking contradiction. I bake a lot of bread, but I don't eat it. So like my kids have a lot of toast and like uh-huh. Catherine likes the bread that I bake. But cool. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm mainly like doing the Weight Watchers right now. So it's a lot of cabbage and hard boiled eggs. So. Oh, no. I, I, I use uh, avocado sometimes um, in smoothies, so I don't know if that makes me an honorary millennial or not. <laughs> that is very bougie. I do appreciate that. I, I'm i assuming you put like a whole bunch of fruits in there, maybe some acai berries. Oh, no, just like a ton of honey. So it probably cancels out the avocado. <laughs> because Is avocado healthy, though? Isn't it just like a really uh, fatty piece of something? In um, one of the comics had a had a set that said if avocado was the good fat. So I believe her. <laughs> Fair. Who was the comic? I believe it was Aiden. Okay. Yeah, at the uh, yeah, it was, I think I I saw her set at the um, the comedy competition, uh, the uh, the summer comedy comedy. Because it com- depends who the comic is, whether or not I'm going to believe that. Because I I don't know I don't know about you I don't I are you reading like the day to day stuff that's going on in COVID? Like, are you reading like oh, the health updates and stuff like that? Absolutely not. <laughs> Yeah, it's Only, not it's like yeah. it's not conducive to mental health and I'm trying to figure out like is this going to end? When is it going to end? Is the vaccine going to help? And it's like it's 2021 and I still don't know if eggs are good for me. <laughs> true. True. That is a very good point. I don't have the wherewithal to figure that out. I don't have the basic yeah. like scientific literacy for that. Oh no, absolutely. I think I, I was trying to figure out if I'm I'm just like a you know super busy creatively to distract myself from all of this COVID stuff because I just thought you know what I think I'm amping it up to like a crazy level because I'm even I, I forgot to mention I'm also in an acting class online. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and it's just like wait a minute, why am I doing all of this stuff? Like, is it just like if I watch the news, would I do less? You know. <laughs> Why? Why are you doing so much? I mean, I'm not, not, that's not accusatory, but I'm like, is there like a sense that you like now is the time when you can get all these things off your bucket list, or is it like I just got to fill time because I don't want to sit with my <laughs> existential dread? I think it's probably the second one, and that, and I don't want to do housework. Like I did housework today, um, so this is like the highlight. Um, I was like vacuuming and dusting. I thought, oh yeah, I think I have stuff to do on my computer instead but yeah I, I think it's like a reaction to the fact that like there's no buffer from all of the stuff that always needs to be done all of the time in the house but if I'm doing like a an acting class it's just like oh I've got to learn these lines 
what kind of what kind of acting like are you just doing skits or are you doing shakespeare like what, what what's acting classical like? oh well it's more dramatic it's um actually a comic out of toronto had uh, shared an article in the summer about um uh vincent uh, caratola's um acting workshop and uh vincent uh, caratola is the actor who played johnny sack on the sopranos and so i was just like huh, let me find out like how much this workshop is. Uh, Cause I just thought I'm never going to be able to like afford that. And he was uh, the guy, he was the, 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 the New York mob boss with like the yep. Pope Benedict eyes. I remember yeah, him. Yeah. He's fantastic. And, and, um, and so I was just like, I'm never going to afford this. This is going to be really expensive. But I'm curious. Let me just email. And then I was just like, Oh, that's not, I have, I've bought shoes that are, like more expensive than than this this and is, he teaches you know, that yeah and on well he um normally there's like an in-person class but with you know these are weird times so um on zoom and uh uh and i they let me in and they don't and i was just like what if they're never gonna let me in i just do comedy um but they liked they they thought that doing comedy was really impressive because you don't know what your audience is going to do like and, and and um so they really have a had were just really welcoming uh despite the fact that i probably have the um slimmest performance cv of anybody in the class but we did um i've done shakespeare i've done um dramatic stuff and i've discovered that i like um acting almost as much as stand-up now and, and granted um it was on my radar to do. I wanted to do community theater because um, I had been talking to other former comics who, who do those things. And I just thought, oh, it'll help me sort of like find new ways of expressing myself on the stage. And uh, a lot of my favorite comics happen to be actors, too. And uh, I thought, OK, let me try it. But then this was like mind blowing. And uh, I just thought this is such a weird time because who would have thought I would have found some like a bunch of cool things um, that make comedy better that make my work work better you know freaky so you're sort of building up it sounds like this kind of cachet or this repertoire of these different skills that you wouldn't have had otherwise so I mean let's say next month hypothetically speaking like everything goes back to whatever the new normal is and we're out and about uh, you know what 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 is Don Zanklin going to be doing at that point like are you going to be like how are how I feel like you know you're you kind of got all these little runway lights coming up with all these different kind of things that you you have your your hands in so like yeah. is is there sort of an end project with all of them together some sort of a creative writing comedy improv acting <laughs> like are you are you going to make a movie is what I'm asking <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I think I, so far, I haven't figured if I was there yet. I'd be happy with just Don goes to an audition um, <laughs> to try to apply all of this stuff. But I definitely want to do more producing. I haven't done much of that. I, I did a little bit of um, producing with Training Wheels with the Improv Embassy. I um, I produced, produced the... Um, uh, one of their, uh, I think, hot mess comedy shows was what it was called in uh, year two. Okay. Um, but they basically did the heavy lifting. So they basically told me what I needed to post and, or suggested, sorry, not told me, suggested what I needed to post and what time and, you know, that sort of thing. But um, And I, I produced something kind of for a birthday. Um, I, I wanted um, 
for one of my birthday uh, celebrations. I'm always kind of bummed on my birthday. And uh, in 2019, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do a comedy show and uh, people can roast me if they wish. And I invited Ooh. a couple of comics I liked. And uh, we were at the Shanghai and it was like dinner um, and a show. And it was super fun. And I wasn't bummed on my birthday. It was awesome. But I thought, I want to do like a proper standalone show that's not about me. Um, <laughs> so I think next month, like if it opened up next month, that would be the thing I would do. And I would have to figure out how to make it work with my um, with family life. But I think I'd probably just do like a once a month thing as opposed to like a weekly or bi-weekly show like some of the other comics do. I didn't even know that you produced. What it, what, it, what does that entail? Is it just about getting the venue and kind of putting the, the physical space together or? Oh yeah, it's basically, I've taken a couple of producing uh, workshops, but I haven't done like, I, it's basically like uh, the marketing of it. Um, the, um, I guess essentially um, letting people know it's gonna happen. Um, telling people, uh, finding the talent um, and sometimes asking um, for uh, referrals. But I think my network now is a lot different than it was in um, in uh, 2018. Um, so I think I could easily put something together. And especially if it was um, a show with technology, <laughs> you know, that like there's no limit. But for me, the only um, challenge is time. Because, you know, as you know, as a parent, you don't have very much of it. So, um these things I do, you know, there's opportunity cost. So it's me not hanging out with friends or me sort of not doing a whole bunch of family stuff. And you sound like someone like me that you've, you're, you've kind of got fingers in enough holes that you don't necessarily, you, you don't want to go all in on the stand up necessarily. Oh yeah. Because I know um, enough about how that, how the industry works that it's to recognize that it's very different um, being a stand-up in Canada versus a stand-up in the States. And uh, we talked about being uh, the, the idea of being a road comic. I don't have that kind of the luxury of time. And um, I don't think my family would be very happy with me if I was on the road all the time. Yeah, yeah it, sounds, it sounds romantic if you're 20 and single. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, if I had done, and, and also too, I think if I had done comedy when I was 20, I probably wouldn't have been that serious about it probably would have been a dating pool. <laughs> but, you know, that that doesn't help you to be funnier. <laughs> I, I mean, that was basically my motivation. Catherine kept following me to my stand-up shows. Oh, awesome. Well, I met her in law school, and she wasn't interested. And she made that abundantly clear. And then I guess, I, yeah, my stand-up did something it worked right so, <laughs> nice. I, yeah it's it's true it's it's a different mindset when uh when when you're sort of in that sphere and then it's just kind of something that's fun and you're not thinking of it in terms of career so it's like a really rare person who's like young and unattached enough to be able to go for it but then yeah. also have enough of a mindset to be like i i think you just have to be obsessive if you want to yeah. do it yeah, or like um, like brought up in the business of entertainment, so you know you know right off the bat that it's um, show business and not show friends, <laughs> you know, so that you can be focused about what you want to do um, as you level up. That's um, a good that mindset to have. That really mm -hmm. is that you know it's good to be chumly, but at the same time you have to have that kind of sense of professionalism to it. Oh yeah, because I I know that sometimes people. Um, you see sometimes people traveling in packs and it's just, I, I kind of wonder about that because I just kind of thought, how do you know that you both want to do the same types of work? Right. Um, 
you know, so, but I guess everyone has their own um, sort of uh, creative journey. Um, but it's nice. I like the idea of keeping options open because then you can try different types of projects and see what you like best. Don, this has been so much fun. I've really had a blast doing this with you. I hope this wasn't a, a complete snooze fest for you. Oh, I, not at uh, all. This is so cool. Thank so you for inviting I'm, the, me. The goal, the goal for me is to do my post-processing probably like a Monday, Tuesday type thing and put up uh-huh. the episode on Tuesday. So as of cool. Tuesday, whatever that is, January, I guess we're getting close to the end of the month over there. So like the 26th or so what what's the next show if somebody wants you know, heard oh. this podcast and they're really excited and they want to they want to see you strut your stuff like what's what's the next virtual show that you're doing oh uh the next virtual comedy show that i'm doing is uh lockdown laughs on thursday i think february 4th it's um produced by uh, my comedy friend simone holder and okay. uh, yeah, we used to do live streaming in uh, the first lockdown. Um, and uh, but she's continuing to do um, the comedy show that she had started. So it's I think going to be the second one of this specific lockdown. Um, and uh, it'll probably be new jokes, knowing me. So <laughs> where, where can I check it out if I wanted to watch? Oh, it I think uh, she's streaming it to Facebook from Zoom. Okay. So yeah. I should be so I can look up lockdown comedy. Maybe there's a link somewhere. I'll I'll throw it up. Yeah, lockdown the, laughs. Lockdown laughs. Sorry. Okay. That's okay. And right. uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, I think I was wrong about Rihanna and Star Trek though. I was kind of googling and <laughs> I didn't I didn't see her name in the uh, in the cast. So who did who did we confuse her with? Do we know? Uh, I'm not really sure. I'm gonna have to look back at the names of the the characters because i was just like i could have sworn she was there i think it was um it might have been uh sophia butella because the character i I believe is called jayla okay but uh i have to double check so i'm I'm always i'm always confusing (laughs) whoever that person you just named is with with rihanna oh no i I just i don't uh, i I literally don't know who that is (laughs) because they're both unknown quantities (laughs) sure we'll go with that Dawn, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh, thank you so much. So have a good night and uh, and uh, hope your kids sleep through the night. Yeah, probably not. I, I I got a good night is when they're up at 5.15 in the morning. I'm still waiting for them to get to that like 7 a.m. mark. But I think part of it might be like Catherine's an early riser and then they hear her. And then one of them wants to wake up with mom. And then the other one hears his brother and wants to come down. And then everybody's up at five. And I, I don't know about you. I can't do five in the morning because I've been like binge watching stuff on my laptop till 1 a.m. Oh, God. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> anyway, uh, this was awesome. Thank you so much, Don. You take care. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And just like that, another episode is in the can. Thank you so much to Don for sitting down and chatting with me all about uh you know, those great creative things that she's working on. I really want to hear more about this podcast of hers and her husband's. I mean, you know, having one week where you talk about Terry Killery and then the next week you talk about Larry O'Brien. Okay, if you don't live in Ottawa, this might not mean a lot to you. But for a city of a million people, I'm always astounded at these little layers of interconnection that you don't even realize are there. I mean, it's years since we played seven degrees of kevin bacon or whatever that was called but 
it really takes place in our everyday life, in our everyday community. Maybe to a lesser extent since we're all walled up in our basements working on computers these days, but still, um, we really are interconnected. And I don't know, I'm not really going anywhere with this except to say that I was very fascinated by that. And I don't want that to overshadow the fact that, uh, you know, I, I feel Don and I have the same... Um, drive I don't want to call it a problem but you know you don't want to stick in one creative lane too long you want to change and try different things and that can be really helpful that can be really useful because it allows you to see all these different perspectives but at the same time you kind of wonder whether or not you need to quote unquote specialize and that's definitely the way that the world is trying to force you and pigeonhole you that you're either going to do stand-up or you're going to do writing, or you're going to do music, or you're going to do acting, but, you know, how dare you try and be a polymath. But uh, I really appreciate someone that's really going for it and doing all the different things. Uh, it's something that I would love to do, and it's it's great to see somebody else going for it. And that's a little bit of what this podcast has been for me. So every time I get a chance to sort of savor those moments, I'm really grateful. Um, I'm going to be coming back at you again next week, probably with another guest. And until then, stay safe and uh, hope you listen again. Who Cares If You Listen is a podcast produced by me, Antonio Jambardino. The opening credits are performed by me and written by me. The closing credits are based on a menuet by Ottorino Respighi and also played by me, Badly on my Techniques KN1400. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about this podcast, that's nice. 